0: God's Word is the 23rd Psalm, and we'll read it together this morning. It is from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, Let us recite together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. The very first funeral I ever did didn't take place in a church. It took place in a funeral home in Harlingen, Texas. And uh, the way it was set up, I didn't scout it ahead of time. I just showed up at the time of the service, is they had a small podium, and then next to the small podium was the casket. Now, the casket was clothed, but it was bathed in pink lights uh, that were shining on it. Those pink lights were also shining on the podium. So when I opened uh, my Bible and my worship book with my contact lenses and the pink lights, the page was completely blank, it was just totally white. So I went through the service as best I could, and I got to the 23rd Psalm and, and tried that one as well. When the service was over, a woman kindly shook my hand and said, Pastor, that's the most interesting rendition of the 23rd Psalm I have ever heard. I butchered it. I mean, I really did but I've been butchering the 23rd Psalm at funerals ever since. Now, I've managed to get the words right, but what I've done, I believe in my heart, is I've left the congregation at those funerals with a couple wrong impressions about the 23rd Psalm that I never addressed with them. The first one is this. The 23rd Psalm is not about death. It's about life. It's not about death at all. If you look at it closely, it says we're walking through the valley. We're not hanging out, camping in the valley, and, and staying there. The other thing that you'll notice, it says that it's the shadow of death, and the translation we used this morning says darkest valley. What this means is uh, it's, a, it's about life in difficult times, is what this funeral's about. And, and a lot of our life is difficult times. A lot of our life is desert. And the, the valley of the shadow of death is probably... It's written by David, who spent a good portion of his time shepherding sheep in what we'd call the Judah Desert, not far from Bethlehem, and then spent a good part of his time running for his life from King Saul out in another part of the desert. So he knew the desert, and he knew that you could get in big canyons there in the desert, these valleys that had been cut out by years ago from water. It would be dry, it would be hot, and you wouldn't know what was around the corner ...of that canyon as you walk through it. It's a very difficult and scary time. And that's what our life often is. Sometimes things happen to us that are, that are difficult. And they're scary. And we're not really sure what's next. And the 23rd Psalm addresses that. But the other thing I think that I've left congregations with is a wrong impression. And that is when you get to one of the most famous verses... ...which is, he makes me lie down in green pastures I shall not want... I think the mental image that people have is of a sheep you know, who's just eaten all he can possibly stand and is, is falling asleep there and, and belly deep alfalfa. You know, he's just eaten all he can handle and, and he's almost miserable and he and he's lies down. Can't eat another bite. Uh, the picture in our day might be like me taking a nap at Whataburger. But um, in actuality, that's not what green pastures are at all. One of my mentors, uh, Ray Vanderland, when he started his studies uh, uh, in Israel, one of the first things they did was they went on a camping trip through the desert to get to know and understand the desert. At first light, he woke up, and he noticed some sheep nearby. And they seemed to be eating, but all he could see was rocks. So one of his classmates, an Israeli, also got up early, and so he whispered over to him and said, What's the deal with those sheep? Are those rock-eating sheep? What is it they're eating? The Israeli student laughed because this is what they were eating. Do you see that rock? Do you see that little tuft of grass that's coming out from behind the rock? The word in Hebrew that gets translated into English, the English translation of what that tuft of grass is, is green pastures. That's it. These sheep aren't eating rocks. They're eating a little tuft of grass. They're getting about a mouthful. That's their green pasture. And the Israeli student laughed at Ray and said, You Americans, you always think that God just wants to give you everything you want all the time. And that always it's, it's, it's more and more. He said, That's not what the green pastures are about. It's about the sheep getting one mouthful. And that's enough to hold him till he goes on to the next green pasture. Sometimes our faith is misinformed when we separate ourselves from the desert. Because when you think about the desert experience of Jesus and of uh, God's people before Jesus, what you learn is that when they got out in the desert, God didn't refrigerate and air condition the place for them. What God gave them were little shade trees, which are about this tall. They're called broom trees. If you remember the story of Elijah who falls asleep under a broom tree, he falls asleep, but I assure you he's not sleeping long because there's only enough shade for his head. And when the sun moves and the shadow moves, he's lost his shade. And then when it comes to eating, God didn't give them a large walk-in freezer. God gave them just enough for that moment just like the sheep who only get a mouthful of grass. That's green pastures, that God gives us just enough in these difficult days to go on. I want to share with you a few learnings that I've had ever since I realized what green pastures were in the context of Israel. The first learning I had is what we talked about last week. This teaches me a whole lot about trusting in a God who provides. Because it's a God, this is a God who provides on a daily basis and doesn't give it to us a month or six years in advance and a large supply uh, that we can go to uh, whenever we want. You remember the lesson of the desert when the people were hungry, God fed them with manna. But what happened at the end of that day? They couldn't save the manna for the next day. It would be bad. They could only have it for that particular day. You may remember that when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he said this, give us this day our daily bread. Give us that mouthful for right now. We learn to trust in a God who gives us what we need at the moment. And the opposite of that, I think it was pointed out in the portion of the Sermon on the Mount that Donna read for you this morning, when we worry When we don't trust God, then we fall into worrying. And the thing that Jesus taught about worry is that worry is not particularly helpful or productive. The rabbis who knew the saying about green pasture and daily bread said this, that worry is focusing on tomorrow's pasture today. When you're in today's pasture, you eat today's tufts of grass. And you don't worry about tomorrow because the shepherd will give that to you. We also learned that not only is worry not productive, but a lot of times you've ever noticed the things you worried most about never came about. Winston Churchill told of a man, old man who at the end of his life said this about his life. I've had a great deal of trouble in my life and most of it never happened. Yeah, he was sharing that he'd spent too much time worrying, thinking about tomorrow's pasture and missing what he was given today. So one of the first lessons I learned from green pastures is to trust in a God who gives us enough for today. But the second lesson is this. Once you eat that tuft of grass, if you want to eat some more, you're going to have to move on. You can't just stay there at that rock. And so the shepherd leads you to the next green pasture, to the next tuft of grass. When you're laying under a tree and the sun moves, you lose your shade, you get up and you go look for the next shade that's provided in the desert. It reminds us that our life in God is always about movement, that we don't stay fixed where we are with what we, uh, what we learned at one time or what helped us at one moment, and we think that will always do it. People of Israel wandered for 40 years. Elijah had to get up from the broom tree and move on in his travels. Abraham never really owned a piece of the promised land except for a a burial cave. We learn from our ancestors that life is about movement; that we keep growing, we keep following the lead of the shepherd, so we don't stay where we were. And I'll say this about Renovari: there were 2,700 people there, and and I commend them because one of the things they were saying is, we don't want to stay where we are spiritually; we want to keep on the move. It was very exciting. For Peter, James, and John, when Jesus went up on the mountain and Moses and Elijah appeared to him. And they thought biblically the appropriate way to celebrate was to build some tabernacles, build some booths, some tents. But but Jesus had no intention of remaining there for very long on that mountain. So he wouldn't let them build. And they went back down the mountain and they kept going on. Our life is about a journey. And as soon as you stop moving, metaphorically, as soon as you stop moving... Spiritually, you're dead because life is about movement. And where do we move? We move where the shepherd leads us. And then another lesson that I learned is just from the mouthful. And that is one of the things things sheep do is they're content with what's in their mouth at the moment. They learn that what they have is enough. That's why it's called daily bread. What I have is enough for this moment. I want to teach you a four-letter word. But I don't want you to use this four-letter word. I want you to take it out of your vocabulary. The four-letter word is M-O-R-E. Don't use it. Don't use it in your, in your life. We need to learn contentment with what God has given us at the moment. And we chew that thoroughly. And then the shepherd leads us to the next place that we need to be. A lot of the problem in my life isn't that I lack bread, but it's that I keep wanting more and more bread. More than my daily allotment. And that has led me into all sorts of misadventures in my own life. When the sheep is there chewing the green pasture, the sheep's not worried about predators The sheep's not worried about where the next mouthful is going to come from, and the reason is this, because the sheep has a shepherd. More important than any grass that you will ever eat is the shepherd who leads you to that grass. That's why it's a psalm about trust. So we trust in a good shepherd who gives us what we need, while we need it, and then leads us. To the next thing we need. If we get up and go searching for it on our own, we are no longer sheep. We are called goats. Goats are always looking for another mouthful and they're going to go do it on their own. But the sheep trust the shepherd and they will go where the shepherd leads. They learn to trust. They learn to follow. And they never are found wanting. I get in trouble in my life when I focus on the grass and not on the shepherd. If we focus on the shepherd, the shepherd will take us to the grass appropriate for this day. I'm reminded of the story that Nikki Gumbel tells in the Alpha Course about the late Baron Fitzgerald, who in his life acquired an awful lot of uh, wonderful possessions, tapestries, uh, paintings, uh, statues, uh, all on his estate. Uh, The one tragedy of of Baron Fitzgerald's life was that he only had one child, a son, who died much too early as a young man. And Baron Fitzgerald left this word in his will that at his death there would be an auction to auction off everything in his estate. So people gathered for this estate sale. The auctioneer put down the gavel and said, it's time to start. The first item up for bid is a picture of Baron Fitzgerald's only son. Do I have an opening bid? Not a one. Not their son. Picture didn't mean much to them. Finally, someone gave a low opening bid. Hearing no other bids, the auctioneer hit the gavel and said, Sold! And by the terms of the will of Baron Fitzgerald... This auction is now over. Everything, he said, goes to whoever buys my son, gets everything else with it. That was it. We have a son. He calls himself the good shepherd. If we will seek him, if we will trust him, if we will follow him, In these difficult desert days, he will give us everything else with him.